You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. You have to take care of your physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual life. When somebody starves to death, what happens when you run out of food, the body eats itself. And I was dying, literally physically dying. And I would have, had I not done therapy, I would have died at age 44. This story for this episode actually started about six months ago. And we were doing a retreat somewhere in America. And the pastor's wife of the church that we were visiting said, you've got to read this book and meet this person named Marilyn Murray. She wrote the book, The Murray Method, and it's changed my life. It's changed how I approach ministry. It's absolutely helped me with so much of the baggage I've been carrying. So of course, on a new lead, I buy a book and I'm totally surprised by the depth, the insight, and actually from the very first chapter, blown away by the story she tells about herself. And I think what's really unique about her story is that she experienced sexual trauma like many people, but she actually started talking about this sexual trauma when it was absolutely taboo to talk about it. Not just in the church, but it was taboo to talk about it at all in America. This is because she's 86. 87 years old. And so she was the first person to start talking publicly in America about abuse. And hundreds of people would gather and travel to hear her talk about abuse, her story, but also her story of healing, not just healing psychologically, but healing physically. She says at some point in this episode that had it not been for going through this healing process of therapy and camaraderie from her community around her, that she would have died at 44 years old. Yes. And so this is her story and her solutions. That's actually, she trains thousands of people all over the world from Russia to Ukraine to America, teaches them how to deal with pain and how to live a healthy life. You're going to absolutely love this episode and Mar- Marilyn as we have this discussion. You will. And then one last plug for the Eros conference that's coming up in Indianapolis in just a couple of weeks. Registration will close soon and we hope to see you there. We're going to put a link in the show notes, but we hope you come join us with your spouse for the Eros conference in Indianapolis. Marilyn Murray, we're so honored to have you on our podcast today. Thanks for joining us. Well, I'm delighted to be here. Aww. Well, we were talking right before we hit record and Marilyn told us how old she is, but we want to hear her story. I think she is probably now the oldest person on our podcast. Yeah. And, and doing incredibly big things in yeah. life. Like you just said, you're talking to hundreds of psychologists mm-hmm. in uh, Russia, in Moscow. That's just awesome. You're still going. I love it. So let's rewind back to the beginning of Marilyn's story, which I think starts even before you were born. Um, Let's take us back and share with our audience all about you. Okay. Well, uh, uh, I'm Marilyn Murray, as you said. Uh, I'm now 87 and uh, probably busier than I've ever been in my life. (laughs) And you mentioned uh, Russia and my 
father's family came from Russia. And I'm always a firm believer in the fact that I think God can take any bad thing and make a good thing come from it. I, I think I always prayed uh, to to be in God's will for my life. Mm -hmm. That was always my main thing. And I was raised in Kansas, Bible Belt, <laughs> where the, I, the Kansas State motto was, what will other people think? <laughs> Did you have that in your family too? <laughs> I think that's in a lot of church culture, yeah. right? Uh, but uh, and you know, you uh, in a really small town where everybody knows everybody else, and you're related to a lot of them, and, okay. and uh, where everybody went to church every Sunday. And joy was uh, spelled Jesus, others, and you which is a good statement, except that it was always emphasized that you is always, always last. You know, you never, you always only are interested in other, taking care of other people. And you never, ever thought about yourself. And, and of course, I was born during the Great Depression, 1936. And in those uh, era, you know, in the 40s and the 50s, there was no such thing as what we now know as healthy self-worth. You know, or, and so it was either uh, arrogant pride or humility, you know, nothing in between. Right. And yeah. so uh, it was that made it really, really difficult. And so uh, but I started having severe asthma problems uh, when I was eight. And uh, and if 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 you read my you know, I have two books, one called The Murray Method and one called Prisoner of Another War, which is my own story. And uh, and that goes into detail. But what happened was at, when I was eight, it was during World War Two and uh, my family had moved to Wichita uh, temporarily just to help with the war effort with some aircraft factories there. And unfortunately, I endured sexual abuse there uh, by a group of strangers. But because in my family, I came from. Uh, the type back then in Kansas, everybody was very stoic. It was kind of the John Wayne era type. Mm -hmm. And and both of my my family had had a lot of trauma. My dad's mother was killed by lightning. She was inside the house. Oh. <laughs> that happened when, when my dad was seven. And when my mother was 17, she saw her mother and sister burned to death in front of her in a fire that she thought was her fault. Uh, horrible, horrible. But That's none of those were ever dealt with. And I was never told about any of those until I became an adult. You know, and so my what I call baseline for normal was you don't deal with painful issues, you know, and I knew nothing about sex at all. So I didn't deal with that. And so I started having screaming nightmares, horrible nightmares, and got really sick with asthma. And that continued. Uh, it was happened to be on a snowy afternoon when that happened. So from then on, whenever it got snowy or cold, which in Kansas it does in the winter, right. <laughs> I would get sick. And so by the time I was a senior, I was sick all the time, not just, mm. I mean, year round, uh, not just in the winter. And so uh, I moved to Arizona by myself when I was 17, right out of high school. And uh, all my folks could afford to give me was a one-way bus ticket and $15. So at age 17, I had $15 and was on my own. Wow. <laughs> and so, Did you have a place to live? 
No. <laughs> uh, we had friends in Arizona that I stayed with for uh, two weeks, but they didn't have room like their their son was sleeping on the couch for me to stay there. So I had to. Uh, and that's another whole story, <laughs> how I finally found a place to live and, uh, and, all, and a job. But I felt so much better. I stayed. And uh, and so I eventually married. Uh, uh, and here in Arizona, uh, we uh, started a, a Western clothing store. And uh, also, I started the first art gallery in Scottsdale, which wow. Scottsdale now has 125 galleries. And so uh, by the time... By the time I was in my mid-30s, I was one of the best-known art dealers, female art dealers in the country. Okay. And was very successful, very active in my church. I played the piano three services every Sunday. And then I helped, uh, when you ask about helping people, a friend of mine and I started one of the first support groups for women in the country in 1975, back when nobody, you, know, you couldn't buy a book anywhere on how to start, start a small group. And so uh, that just boomed. <laughs> I mean, it was the need was so great, mm -hmm. and it, the whole thing just was like an avalanche. It exploded, and so I eventually just retired from the gallery and just worked helping that because what was happening in those groups, you can imagine, people were talking about you know addictions and affairs and kids on drugs and you know, it's cancer and anxiety and depression, all the stuff that comes up in small groups. And I wasn't a therapist, you know, and so mm. it was got me crazy because I had been trained to be what we now know as a codependent, you know, yeah. you know to, to be keep so busy taking care of you, 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 I don't have time to look at me. Right. And so my physical problems got much worse. While my asthma had gone away when I came to Arizona, um, I started having really severe headaches, really bad headaches. And then I started having chest pains and stomach pains and just not good. And I had uh, gone to see many, many doctors and they just said, we can't find out what's wrong with you. You know, we, you're just going to have to learn to live with the pain. And it was like, ah, this isn't good. Mm -hmm. And so back then, especially in Arizona, which uh, pretty conservative, especially back then, uh, nobody went to therapy unless you were certifiably psychotic, you know, in the 70s. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> <Yep. laughs> or a face in the gutter drunk, you know. And But it just so happened that uh, one of uh, the lady that helped me start these uh, small groups uh, had uh, her dad had uh, had been killed in an automobile accident. And she had found out that there was a counseling center, uh, Christian counseling center in the San Francisco area, which I think is not too far from where you live, right. <laughs> and uh, uh, that uh, did did some intensive therapy. It was the only one in the country at the time that did that. And she went and it helped her to work on some of her dad issues. And she came back and said, that was helpful. Now it's your turn to go. <laughs> and, I'm going, and I'm going like, no, 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 I don't need this, you know. And uh, and so she just kept pushing and pushing. And she said, well, you know, something's wrong because look at your physical problems. And she said, you're the most driven person I've ever met. And uh, so anyway, uh, bless her heart. Thank you. <laughs> I wouldn't be alive today if it hadn't have been for her. But she just finally said, I'm not going to let you die. You will go. 
know, and so she, uh, in fact, she even called and made the appointment, made my plane reservation, everything. Wow. Made sure I got on the plane. You know, wow. me- what a wonderful friend. It really, I wouldn't be alive if it hadn't been for her. Wow. But uh, anyway, I did that. That was in, in 1980, Thanksgiving weekend. In fact, it, oh, but, my, wow. oh, it was this weekend. Yeah. Oh, my uh, and, wow. uh, and I was to be gone two weeks and I was gone seven months. Oh. And because uh, what happened is I was like an old, you know what a pressure cooker is? The old fashioned pressure cooker. Yep. I was like that with the lid clamped down really tight, but no escape valve. And the whole thing was just, you know, shaking like this. And and so when I got there, that whole thing just exploded. And just, <laughs> all not my sexual abuse and all the, you know, I was 44 at the time, years of never dealing with any kind of, of you know, conflict ever. Mm-hmm. And so the doctors later told me I was probably hours or days away from a massive heart attack or a stroke. Yeah, because you can't do that, you know, hold things down like that, just gritting your teeth and white knuckling it forever. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, back then, they didn't know how to treat that. <laughs> you know, they didn't have any, right. you know, no training on that. So it just took a long time. But when I finally did come home, I was a really different person. Uh, physically, I was in the best shape I'd ever been in my life. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, all the physical problems gone, never have returned. So your uh, headaches went away, the never asthma. Returned, never returned. Yeah, yeah. All, never asthma, no, nothing. And all, you didn't all. have medical interventions. You had psychological interventions. Yeah. And before then, what I mentioned earlier, you know, I had been praying, <laughs> praying, praying, literally on my face, you know, in my closet, just begging God to take away this pain. Because it either take it away or take me home. You know, I just mm-hmm. saying over and over and over. And in fact, I was really almost suicidal. Uh, mm-hmm. It was so bad. And uh, people from church telling me, well, you must have unconfessed sin. You just need to pray more or read your Bible more. Right. Uh, and I thought, man, if, if reading your Bible and praying more was a requirement, I should have qualified. <laughs> and I was... I had five Bible studies a week in my home. <laughs> I was playing the piano, you know, as I said, every Sunday. I was right. doing all the right things, mm-hmm. but still dying. And so, uh, but uh, uh, when I came back then, uh, my therapist, uh, my therapist here, who uh, is was Dr. Ralph Earl, who is uh, an ordained pastor, plus a psychologist very well very well known nationally. And uh, he and my therapist in California both encouraged me to go back to school and get my degrees in psychology, which I did. Wow. And, uh, and I started back then uh, writing a theory on how a person survives trauma and thinking it only applied to me. I was just trying to figure out my garbage. You know, why do I do what mm-hmm. I do <laughs> or did what I did? Mm-hmm. And uh, they, uh, but the, uh, Dr. Earl asked, he and one of my professors, who was a clinician, both said, would you teach this new theory to us? We think it might be helpful. And so both of them, which I did, and, and they both said, you know, this works with everybody, not just you. And so they encouraged me to widen it out. And I have, which I've done, I'm still doing, uh, and to where now we call it the Murray Method. But 
I became one of the first persons in the United States uh, to be uh, asked to speak openly and publicly about abuse issues and trauma back in 1981. And so 40 years ago. So <laughs> back people weren't talking about their abuse. Oh, not at all. Not at all. You mm-hmm. couldn't have read in a newspaper. There was not one word ever about rape, incest, sexual abuse, anything like that. Pornography. None of that was ever discussed. When I would when I would give a talk, there would be hundreds of people that would show up. I'd have five and six hundred people and people that had driven hundreds of miles to come. It was shocking. (laughs) It was amazing. And then I got picked up by radio and TV. And so I then I spent a lot of the 80s and 90s traveling all around the country talking and giving talks. And and, uh, back then, fortunately, uh, a lot of uh, Christian, there, there was, uh, it was called uh, CRI, Christian Recovery International. And then underneath that, they had the National Association for Christian Recovery, NACR. Mm-hmm. And I spoke at lots of their conferences and was on their board back in the 80s and the 90s. And, uh, uh, but, but then I, uh, then I also, Uh, And I specialized in intensive therapy. I was like an emotional open heart surgeon (laughs) and and, uh, uh, did that. And then I also taught uh, at a university here for seven years uh, and taught my whole whole Learn method course, plus uh, clients. And I started teaching internationally. I went to Kiev, Ukraine, which makes me cry, (laughs) in 2001 and then started in Moscow in 2002. But then when the war started and all, and I couldn't go to Russia anymore, like I said, I'm doing things now via Zoom, mm-hmm. but I'm back in the States now and uh, seeing a few clients here, but mainly trying to, I'm doing teaching and training a lot of therapists here. Wow. So wow. could you help people understand, Marilyn, like something that happened as a young, young girl? That was outside of her norm. I mean, I remember reading in the book that, that you were on a bus and you missed your stop and and ended up in a place that you wasn't was very foreign to you and was taken advantage of by soldiers and then came back home like nothing ever happened and mm. and then all of a sudden, you know, later years later, you you're having all these health issues and 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 things and people have a hard time understanding how something back here in our in our horizontal timeline um, how that actually affects us now can you help people understand it and I'd love to hear too a little bit about your insights about the weeping child and the controlling child <laughs> okay uh, good well you did a great lead in there <laughs> <laughs> thank yeah. you well, when you talked about the the timeline uh, when what happened was uh, when my therapist had, he had me do a timeline and I argued with him and I said, I don't see how anything that happened way back here could influence what I do out here. That doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. But then when I started to write my theory, I realized we don't live, we don't experience life horizontally. We experience life vertically. Mm-hmm. We experience one event upon the other, upon the other, upon the other, upon the other. You know, it's like the princess and the pea with the mattress, you know, but everything, 
everything leaks through like this. See? Mm. And so that's why it, all of my diagrams and everything that I teach, it's, it's like you have uh, this circle or this oval and you, you, you put events one on top of the other and you can see then how all of these uh, leak up through and influence everything that we yeah. do. It's a much and, easier way to conceptualize it for sure. Yeah. And so what I use the term and where I came up with the terms, I said my Murray method was uh, created by a child because I was eight years old when this happened. And uh, so when I was doing my intensive therapy and I was doing a lot of very deep uh, experiential work, mm -hmm. there was a, a period of time where I could not even, I couldn't even express myself like an adult, only like a child. Mm -hmm. And so I was trying to explain to my therapist what was going on. And I said, it's, feels like that when God created me, it's like he created this original child who I was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. uh, but when this attack happened, it's like I became this sobbing child <laughs> that, mm -hmm. that, uh, that I wasn't aware even existed, you know, before. But, but then what happened, because in my family, it wasn't okay to have that sobbing child, you know, or even who I was as an original child really <laughs> wasn't right. accepted that much either. Uh, and uh, because like, uh, just a sidebar a minute, my personality is, is like my dad's more choleric, sanguine type thing, where my mother is very melancholy, phlegmatic. And, and she was wanting, uh, she felt that I should be like her, that women were to be silent and quiet and, and, and so she was always telling me to hold myself down, hold myself back, you know. And, and so mm -hmm. I always had to apologize for who my original child was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so uh, anyway, but I, so when my attack happened, it was like my sobbing child is here. My, my, I mean, my original child is here. And then my sobbing child was covering that over. Mm -hmm. And then I could very definitely, I could just, there was, uh, very specifically, a, a other part of me that was saying, "But you've got to clean yourself, and you've got, you know, got to find your shoes. You got to go home because your parents are going to be upset." You know, and she was the one that was saying, oh, we, "You know, we have to take care of this. We have to do this. Mm -hmm. We have to be good. We can't let anybody know we've been bad." You know, all of this, and and so, uh, and I was not happy with her. I was going to say you know, why isn't she, why is she making me do all of this? Mm -hmm. And so anyway, but basically she buried these other two and, and she's the one that cleaned me up and took me home, put a smile on my face and acted as though nothing happened. Right. And, and so that became what I called my controlling child. Okay. And so I believe that everybody is the person they were created to be, their original child. Everybody has a pool of pain of some degree. Nobody's had a perfect life. Even if you had healthy parents, we live in a world where pain happens, trauma happens. Certainly nowadays, you know, trauma happens all over. Yeah. And, and then everybody has a defense mechanism, which I call your controlling child. And, but, your, but your controlling child is supposed to be temporary. It's supposed to only come in and help you when you've got a crisis problem and then back off. See, mm. but in my family, your controlling child was the one that was to use what I call my baseline for normal. <laughs> that, right. that was it. 
And so I was in my controlling child my whole life. And that's what I did. And and what I think a lot of churches praise, that's the part that that's codependent and working hard and doing, you know, keeping a smile on your face, never complaining, never whining, mm-hmm. you know, taking care of everybody else uh, that has a sobbing child. You, you know, they, they look for you. Uh, people like me and uh, so uh, that's what I was so what what I did then is said okay how can we put these together to where they form what I call a healthy balanced person Mm -hmm. and so that's what I really had tried to do is say your original child is who God created you to be the core of that is your soul that part that that seeks to know who God is in your life, who Jesus is in your life, mm-hmm. that the Holy Spirit works through. And that needs to always be growing. Your sobbing child gives you empathy and compassion. <laughs> it makes you a better person, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. a better husband, better wife, a better mother, better father. Okay. But your controlling child, you uh, when that part's healthy, not only does it keep you safe, but it sets boundaries, it keeps yeah. you responsible, says don't jump off the roof, don't play on the freeway, you know? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> pay your bills, pay your taxes, you know, be a responsible person, be on time. And right. so those need to be there to, to keep this balance. But but that whole combination, keeping it that way, then uh, now I'm 87, intend to be 105, have to be to get all the things done that I still need to do. Aww. i love that but uh uh, yeah and i've had you know i i don't have any of those other physical problems that i had before i did unfortunately have cancer uh the year covid 2020 okay uh, and had a, a a very rare deadly kind but at least Right now, I'm fine, and I get checked every four months, and so I, as far as wow. I know, that's that's gone. <laughs> but thank you, uh, Jesus. Yeah. And so, uh, but it's that's uh, the story. So I would yeah. say to answer your question too on how do those things affect a couple and a marriage? Yeah. Big oh, big, big, talk big about time. specifically the baseline for normal and how that can affect your marriage. Okay, yeah, and that's that's one of the things. Actually, I only started using that term, I don't know, maybe five years ago, four okay. five years ago. Baseline for normal, but now it's one of my my basics that I start with almost mm-hmm. with everything. And I always say that that when you're a child, what's common and familiar equals normal. And you think if something is normal, it must be okay. You don't know any different. You know, you don't have their options. And your baseline for normal is composed of your fa- your present family, your family of origin, your extended family, your race, your gender, your ethnicity, uh, the era and time in which you live. Like <laughs> me raised in, you know, in the 40s and 50s, very different than somebody like you all. Yes. <laughs> or, children, or, or my grandchildren or great-grandchildren. Uh, also, ge- geographic uh, geography okay. makes a big difference. Like uh, uh, now, you live in California now. Were you born there? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Uh, you know, like I'm from Kansas. Very, very different than somebody from New York or from right. Canada or, or Russia or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. Big, big difference. And uh, and so all of that, all of the culture that goes with that, uh, and then also your education. Not only 
uh, what you learned, but did you go to a regular school? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Go, uh, you know, like a Christian school, parochial school, homeschool, military school. Uh, uh, what what kind of school did you go to? It all uh, makes a difference in your worldview yeah. and your the way it, you interact. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, but travel also. How much have you traveled? Have you gone to different countries? Yeah, that's true. Uh, have you lived in different countries? You know, uh, have you lived in a third world country? Right. <laughs> and so uh, that makes a huge difference. And then uh, your friends, obviously. And when I was a kid, media wasn't too important. Today, media, social media, yeah. hugely important. Definitely. So here you are as a kid, but then now you are as an adult with all of these various things I've talked about that have influenced you, that now these are your baselines for normal. So when I talk with clients, I always just say, look at your baseline for normal and decide what's good that you want to keep. But now you're adults, you know, you're over over 18 or 21. (laughs) You have a choice now of what you want your baseline for normal to be. I usually have them list the things that maybe they've already eliminated, that they already knew were not good and they've stopped. But the ones that are the tricky ones that are the hardest is what are the things that you do or have done that that were tradition? <laughs> you know, they were the thing that these are, this is who we are, this is what we do, that you still hold on to. But now that you have a clear adult mind, you're looking at say, even though that's tradition, I see it wasn't healthy. Um. See, like for me, not not expressing emotions at all was tradition. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, Joyce, Jesus, others, and you always having you last, not taking care of your health was yeah. tradition. But it wasn't okay. It really yeah. wasn't healthy. But what happens and boundaries, you know, we didn't have boundary was a fence. (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, to have boundaries that we never had that. And so when you start now to get healthy and you start to become what I call this healthy, balanced person, you pay a price Mm -hmm. because uh, as you start to change and all, there's going to be some people that are not happy about it because they were used to you being the codependent that took care of them and did things for them and and et cetera. Or you're now setting boundaries or you're now saying, no, I I need to take care of my health here. I can't do that. And so you're going to buck up against some people that say, or the fact that you go to therapy, (laughs) that you uh, don't just read your Bible and pray. So you'll, and so definitely I had tons of criticism, especially back in the eighties. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Why do you why do you think Christians with such good intentions that read their Bible and pray still have issues? <laughs> yeah. Well, because they usually come out because they come out of baselines for normal that that haven't shown them oftentimes that there are alternatives. That there's a different 
baseline for normal. Yeah. And the wonderful thing is now 40 years from now, mm. the, well, number one, let me back up. Some of the people who were so critical of me in the 80s actually came and apologized later. Wow. Yeah, you know, not all of them, but but some did. Uh, you know, after they, after other people besides me were standing up and saying, and and you know, by by the end of the eighties, we had several other Christians that were speaking and even writing books and doing things. So I wasn't, you know, one of the only ones. Right. Yeah, and so uh, which was really good. And but but uh, also now we have people like you all, and many 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 actually. Uh, I'd say, uh, you know, in the United States, Christian psychologists and Christian counselors uh, are, you know, really, it'd be interesting to to find out, maybe you even know the percentages of uh, those verses. And then there are many people who are Christian that don't book themselves. Like for me, I don't book myself as a Christian therapist at all. Just, you know. I, I'm I'm a psychological professional who happens to also be Christian, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and that way uh, I get a lot more people in my classes than I would if I was you know only Christian. Gotcha. And so, like in Moscow, I had many Muslim, Jewish, you know, uh, yeah. you know, from all all over, you know, from Europe. And so Malaysia. here here's a question for you, because you know there. You know, we've we've been fortunate enough to travel, and customs and tradition and are so difficult. Like you said, that's a tricky one to to ask. Like, hey, what do you want to make as your baseline normal? So let's say a couple, you know, from Kiev or from Moscow or from America, um, locate some things that, like my my mom and dad were very harsh, and man, I that just didn't sit with me. Or they they locate some some things that just don't work for their relationship. How do they go about changing that, you know, tradition for them and navigate the family fallout? Yeah. Well, uh, it, it takes therapy and support usually, you know, uh, I definitely, I would have never, never, never in a billion years changed without my therapy. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, uh, thank heavens, there are really good therapists like you and different ones yeah. that can help because uh, you have to, you know, to have somebody else's that's a guide that comes along that says, okay, here's the new road, you know, <laughs> here's the roadmap, you know, here's the, you can't, you can't drive for them, but you can give them the roadmap, you can come along the side and help them uh, to do that and support them, especially during the times when they're starting to hit the wall. Those are really, really tough times. And yeah. I, I'm a really big advocate of support groups to where you have some that you go mm-hmm. to every week that people you can dump with <laughs> and that support you, that that pray for you and have that. I know I without that, I would have never uh, survived yeah. in that, yeah. those wow. years. Yeah, so, so good. Yeah. Okay, so talk a little bit, Marilyn, about circles of intimacy <laughs> and how that plays a role in our personal lives, but also in our marriage. Okay. Oh, I, I just did a, a handout. I don't know. Can you see this at all? Yes. 
we could see it. <laughs> I wasn't sure, but it's just like like a bullseye, except that the circle two has a dotted line. It's two A and two B. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. And uh, uh, actually, in my Murray Method book, you know, this is in detail. So I'm just <laughs> giving you the clip notes here. Nice. <laughs> and uh, uh, but uh, the number one circle is God and you. Uh, so. Uh, and it's interesting because uh, <laughs> when when I was yesterday talking uh, to this group of 100 psychologists in Russia, I am free there to talk about God. I am not free here to talk in public about God. Wow. Is that terrible? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, over the last 20 years, I can... Over there, I've taught in Moscow State University, Moscow State University of Psychology and Education, to their uh, their major educational university, all of those, and I can use the word God. I can talk about being a Christian, and I'm, and they love it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, but not here. <laughs> but not in our campuses. Not here. Uh -uh. Wow. And yeah. which is, yeah, and I was just thinking yesterday after I got out, finished that that four hour call there, and I was talking about circles with that, and uh, and when they did their. I had them break up into uh, small groups and then they came back and discussed. And almost every one of them, every one of their small groups mentioned how important God was in their lives, especially right now in times of high crisis. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to have that, that we have to have that relationship with God to help us get through the, the stuff. That's right. The, the, right now it's a really rough time. Yeah. And yeah. Know what God has planned, but it's a, really difficult time right now yeah and uh but so for anyway, someone who's listening and not watching explain what you mean when you say you and god are in the middle like what does that okay. mean in, in relation okay. to the other circles all right. all right well number one this this is uh the circles helps you set what are your values and priorities okay uh, and so uh your number see i i always thought and i was always taught that God had to be number one, you know, as a Christian who Jesus is, the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. that was number one. And then other people were next, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, mainly family and then other people. And then, as I said, you last. Well, what I realized is that nobody can make you healthy but you. God can't even make you healthy if you don't cooperate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, yeah, you have to take care of your physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual life. Every person has created those four things, physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual. And so that's your primary, primary responsibility. And one of the things I say over and over again to clients and to students is you cannot give away that which you do not have. You cannot give away that which you do not have. I make Absolutely. them say it over and over and over and over. <laughs> Yeah, you can't feed people out of an empty wagon. And mm -hmm. see, that's what I was doing back 40 years ago. Right. I, until I my wagon was empty. <laughs> and, yeah. and so uh, I found out that when somebody starves to death, what happens when you run out of food, the body eats itself. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I was doing was my body was eating itself. And I was dying, literally physically dying. And I would have, had I not done therapy, I would have died at age 44. Mm -hmm. Had the biggest funeral Scottsdale had ever had in a year, nobody would remember I'd existed except for a family and a few friends. Wow. Yeah. And so 
So you have to make that. And it's not narcissistic. It's exactly the opposite. It's getting you healthy enough so you have something to give away. Right. Right. And so that you can live to be 105 you know, yes. or 87 or 105 and still have something to give. So good. Okay. So, so that's what I mean is that it has to be your health. But to me, it's impossible to do by yourself. There is no way ever I would have ever even begun in a billion years to consider doing what I've done for 20 years in, in Russia and all over the former USSR by myself. That would have been totally crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and there I did classes of 30 to 50 people. It was like doing intensive therapy with that many people, eight hours a day, day after day after day after day, hearing just horrible stories. Yeah. I couldn't have done that. I, you know, I'd walk out each night and go, okay, God, here they are. They're yours. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> but that's so good for leaders to hear because that's what they're dealing with in their churches or with people oh, yeah. under their care. Mm -hmm. They're not healthy themselves. They have nothing in their wagons, but they're trying to feed people out of that empty wagon. And it, you can't, you yes. cannot, you cannot, absolutely cannot do it. And, mm -hmm. and what happens and too is what they, they bring other people's things and all that other garbage from everybody else into their number one circle. And there's only a place for one person there and God, period. Yeah. You know, and so when you bring them in, that means that you go out. Oh. And so there's no way you have to be able to just say, God, and that's part of the problem with codependency in churches is that we're I literally was taught that it was my responsibility to take care of you and keep you happy and do you and make sure you went to heaven and all of that. And so I had, you know, the whole world on and, your shoulders. Oh, in my number one, two, three, four and circle. And I was in a tree someplace there. So oh, yeah. let me, let me finish on this. And okay. okay. So then in your number two circle, it, uh, when you're a kid two a is your parents or your primary caregiver and two B is siblings, if you have any, okay. but then as you become an adult, those should move out. So it's clean. Uh, place for your own uh you know for your own family okay. so if you uh have a significant other you know fiance so you're married your spouse they're in 2a and if you have minor children that still live at home they're in 2b nice. okay then uh as they get older then and they become adults uh to me it's like by the time they go to college then they need to be moved out to three okay okay and circle three is, is small. It's only for people who are safe and people with whom you can share with intimately. Uh, okay, so that it would be your adult children and then any family member or like your closest friend, you know, yeah. or like if you're in a 12-step program, your, your sponsor or your sponsees. Mm -hmm. uh, but, and that circle needs to be flexible because uh, you know, as you grow older, your best friend in college is maybe not going to be your best friend later. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. You yeah. have different ones. And uh, plus, as you get older, like me, now I have seven great grandkids. Uh -huh. <laughs> so you, you, you know, you ha have some of those things that add. Uh, and then circles four, five, six, you could have a hundred circles. Mm -hmm. uh, then, but circles like four and five would be uh, the rest of your family members and friends, work colleagues. 
you know, I'm out to mm. the bus that helps you at Costco. <laughs> They're way, way out here. <laughs> nice. Okay. Uh, but the, the the difference is between three and four and five is uh, several things. Uh, frequency of contact makes a difference. Mm -hmm. So you could have two siblings that you love equally. One lives close to you. You see them once a week. One lives across the country. You see them once a year. Gotcha. So maybe once in three, once in four, even though you love them the same. Sure. Uh, and, but And also how something impacts you. The, and this is the important thing to think about, like in marriages and all, is makes you feel good, makes you feel bad. For instance, when COVID came, guess where it went? Bam. <laughs> it was right in the middle of everybody. You had the yes. mask on your face. <laughs> you, yeah. Right. In, in the news, every single thing in the newspaper was COVID. And so that just came in and really, really affected everybody's mental, emotional, spiritual, physical health uh, completely. Okay. Uh, understanding this for me has been extremely helpful. Personally, it's the one I use this instrument almost every day. Uh, and so if I wake up in the morning and maybe uh, I'm tired or, uh, you know, feeling some stress, okay, what have I allowed to come in my number one circle? <laughs> and uh, yeah, and so for instance, when this war hit in Ukraine, oh my gosh, terrible, terrible, terrible. Because I was on the phone in the middle of the night, you know, hearing air raid sirens going off and, you know, yeah. awful stuff talking to Ukraine and then talking to Russia, then talking to Kazakhstan. Mm -hmm. And I, it was awful for the first couple of weeks. And I realized, man, I'm, I'm allowing this in my number one circle. Can't do that. <laughs> and so I had to really, the same thing when I had cancer, I did not allow my cancer in my number one circle. Mm -hmm. And so those, those kind of things are just saying, uh, it's like, you know what the serenity prayer is? Yep. Love yes. Go ahead, go ahead and say it. It's yeah, so good. Yeah. But, you know, but it's the whole point of that is to un understand, you know, what are the things can I change? What are the things I cannot change? And and realize that I can only change myself. I can't right. change. I can't change these other things. I have to trust God to take to take that and uh, do what what He has equipped me to do and where He's placed me to do, and uh, and then let the rest go. Where I think as Christians, we get so feeling that it's our responsibility to change everybody and everything. Right. And, and uh, you know, I, I keep I keep having to remind myself, you know, Jesus had more people turn away from him than came to him. Mm. And so I'm going, you know, I can't have a better batting average than Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> perspective right yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. That, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that, you can teach things and share things yeah. that aren't going that aren't going to agree with you, yeah. and that's okay. And where before it was like, oh, I, I have to, you know, <laughs> do whatever I can do to to get through, and and it's yeah. I, I've learned just to to allow God to do that. Man, that's good. So but, much wisdom. <laughs> so you. much wisdom. Okay, well, I, I, I have another question though about the circles before we come to a God. close, but. Yeah, sure. um, you know, other than the education piece and 
uh, perspective that we're gaining even just by listening to this podcast. How can people start taking steps toward getting their circles in the proper order? Number one, uh, being aware that they're messed up. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. That's good, yeah. And, and uh, what I have people do is uh, usually is to put a line down through the middle okay. and and on this side, put exactly, the, be brutally honest about where they are, you know, what is, <laughs> where are things now? Okay. You know, uh, and then on the other side, the way uh, God and I would like for them to be. Mm. Okay. Ah, so you're like splitting the page horizontal yeah. or uh, vertically. Yeah, like this, yeah. Uh, and then on one side, how they are. And then on the other side, of how you want it to be. And how God wants and, it to and be. And for people listening to what, what she's holding up is like a, a bullseye with uh, circles surrounding circles, I guess, or yeah. concentric circles. Concentric, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and good. so, but uh, that, and then, uh, then I also have people make a list of what your values and priorities are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if your priority, most people will say, oh, health, God, family, you know, well, you know, how does that work for you? You know, if actually you're out in a tree someplace, you're not paying attention to your health. So that's really not being a priority, is it? Yeah. You know? Right. You know, yeah. yeah. And you don't have you don't have time along with God. So God's not a priority, really. <laughs> family. Well, I don't have time for my family because I'm working or I'm being at church all the time. So everything you say is your priority. You're not you're not being congruent. And that's one thing I'm pounding all the time. You have to be congruent. You know, if, if this is what you say your values are, but your behaviors are over here, ain't it going to work? <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. And so that and then but also so you have to start setting a lot of boundaries. And you, uh, it's what I said earlier. You have to realize that when you do that, you're going to pay a price. Mm-hmm. There are going to be some people that aren't happy with you. But I, I can assure you that your family, your immediate family, your marriage will be better. Your yeah. things with your children will be better. And it makes me tearful to, to say that I can tell you uh, when I came back from therapy, I apologized to my daughters. They were 18 and 21. I had just two daughters at the time. And the older one was married. The younger one was in the university. And I just said, I am so sorry. You know, if I had to do it over again, I wouldn't have done this. I would have done that. Please do it differently with your children. And they did. So I have very healthy three adult children. I have seven great-grandchildren. And I see them, you know, they they practice this religiously. (laughs) I I see how they they make time for their own, make sure their health stays good make time for their spouses, make time for the kids. So I know this works. It's worked in my family now. Oh, for we're going to have to do it. Yes. And we're going to teach it. And we want <laughs> folks to grab your book. So um, yeah, tell, tell us, us about your where book. they can get it. Yeah. Oh, just go on, go on Amazon or my, uh, it, they can go on my Murray Method. It's uh, just murraymethod.com. It's really okay. easy. Just murraymethod.com is my website. And, uh, uh, on that, they can just click on on both books there, and it'll take them awesome. to that. Awesome. We will link that in the show notes, along with links to the and, books as well. And right now, I don't have any new. I, I do Murray Method levels one, two, three, four, which I would love to have you all come yeah. or anybody 
outcome. Yes. <laughs> That's great. For therapists or people, it's not a it's not therapy, it's more training. It's okay. it's learning the Murray method. Uh, and uh, to so use pastors it. can come as well, oh, and lay ministers, lay well, counselors. We actually found out about you because there was a pastor's wife who recommended you highly. That she's like, you have to have her on. You have to yeah. read her book. It changed mm-hmm. my life, and and of course, my ears always perk up to somebody I, I haven't read yet. So <laughs> I went and read it, and I was like, all right, we have to have her on and do this. And yeah. So, well, we have. One more question for you. All right. So this is the question we ask everybody when we close our episodes. And that's rewind back to when you first got married. What advice do you wish you would have received? And then fill in the blank, dear young married couple. Oh, um, treat each other with not only love, but with mutual respect. Yep. So because when I, uh, back then... I was taught here, it was like this. Mm. You know, the husband was here and the wife was here. Yeah. And your job was to help your husband uh, do anything he wants to do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, so uh, my uh, my son-in-law asked me that question uh, when they got, my daughter got married, my first daughter. And I said, uh, he said, what can, you know, preventing maintenance, what do you suggest? And I said, yes. treat her with mutual respect. And they and they here like this, yeah. and they always did have and uh, side by side. Yeah, I'm married forty five years now, and and so uh, it's but, working. Yeah, yeah, it works. <laughs> I wished I had been taught that. I wished I had known that. Yeah. Thank you. Wow. That, that, well, you've heard it. There we go. Thank you so much, Marilyn. You well, are lovely. You. And thank you for your contributions yes. to helping people get better and to heal. Uh, well, I think you guys are amazing, and I'm very proud of what you're doing. And I, I just think that uh, God's really using you. So thank you, thank, thank you, Marilyn. thank you. Bravo. <laughs> you need more connection in your marriage. So we created a free download for you called the top three ways to connect. We created this after working with literally thousands of people just like you who said. I really crave a deeper and more meaningful bond with my spouse. You can get this recipe for connection by following the link below. Also, if you want some more personalized help or counseling, just shoot us a text, 916-678-1797. You can also go to our website, dearyoungmarriedcouple.com for more info. And we'll see you next week.